everybody. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Savini, and I cover the Jets for ESPN. I want to take you back to September 11th, opening night, MetLife Stadium, Jets and Bills, and I want you to remember how you felt when Aaron Rodgers went down with his Achilles injury on the fourth play. You're thinking, shortest Jets season in history, right? Somehow they pull out that game over Buffalo, but then the reality sets in. Bad losses to Dallas and New England. Everything is crumbling. Zach Wilson is stinking. The defense is simmering. And Joe Namath, Joe freaking Namath, torches Wilson and everybody on the radio. Now look, they're back to 500 at 3-3 three and three after their biggest win of the Robert Sala era, 20-14, over the previously undefeated Eagles, the defending NFC champions. It's the Jets' first win in forever over the Eagles after 12 straight losses dating back to 1973. So here we are, folks. We're at week seven. It's the Jets' bye week. There's a lot to unpack. Let's start with the big picture. The Jets have proven they can take down the big boys. They beat the 4-2 and two Bills. They just beat the 5-1 and one Eagles. Almost beat the defending champion Chiefs. So these wins are an important step for a team that, let's face it, hasn't had a lot of success in a long time. Really no success in about, what, 12, 13 years? Saying you can do it and actually doing it are two different things. And I think these wins will serve the team very well, knowing they can go out, and like Robert Sala said after the game on Sunday night, knowing they can go out and go toe-to-toe with these heavyweights. Now, the future. Yes, the schedule eases up. No reason to have a parade yet, though, because let's take a little closer look at the schedule. Now, they do have the 1-5 and Giants coming up out of the bye. That is no gimme, folks. The Giants showed a lot. They showed me a lot Sunday night. A, a tough, tough loss to Buffalo, but no one gave them a chance in that game, and they actually should have pulled it out. So I'd be worried about them because playing the crosstown rival Jets, so to speak, in that live stadium at a Giants home game is going to be like the Giants Super Bowl. So no gimme there. And the Jets, looking beyond the Giants, they play a lot of teams like themselves. 500 teams. The Raiders, the Chargers before Monday Night Football, the Falcons, Texans, Commanders, Browns, all 500. Let's call this the November-December 500. That's really what this race is like for the Jets. The Jets could beat all of those teams, or they could easily lose to any one of those teams, including the Giants, for the reasons I said. So the schedule does ease up over this grueling first six weeks, but they're playing themselves every week, which is what what it's like. And so for the Jets, the difference in these games coming up will be, one, injuries, got to stay healthy, and sticking to their formula, and their formula their blueprint is this. Get the ball to their two playmakers, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, and play the kind of defense they've been playing. Uh, They have to be better in situational football. They're 32nd in third down offense and 31st in red zone offense. This winning is not sustainable unless they improve in those areas. 
Now, there is one thing they have going for them. This team can take a punch. I mean, get, get, get a load of this stat. They've trailed at halftime in all six of their games, which is obviously is not, not ideal. But they're one of only two teams in NFL history to be 500 or better after trailing at the half in each of their first six games. Now, actually, it happened last year. The Colts went 3-2-1 and one over their first six. The Jets are at 3-3. Three and three. And here's another sign of their resilience. Seven comeback wins of 10 points or greater in the Robert Sala era. That is tied with Minnesota for the most such wins in that span. So, yes, this is a tough-minded team. I'll be honest with you. I thought they were toast after the Rodgers injury, and I'm sure a lot of folks out there thought the same thing. I thought they were doomed to six or seven wins. Figured they won seven games last year with Zach Wilson at quarterback. They'd probably be able to do it again. I thought it was going to be that kind of year. And, you know, when I think back to that night, that Monday nighter with the Rodgers injury, I, I think back to Lake and Tomlinson after the locker room, literally in tears, actually excused himself during an interview to wipe tears from his eyes. Now, I mention that because I want to frame that with what happened this Sunday night in the locker room. There's our friend Lakin Tomlinson again, once again, getting emotional as he spoke to reporters. But this time, he's talking about the resilience. He's talking about the spirit of the team. And specifically, he was talking about Randall Cobb's two-point catch, you know, at the end. And he says, quote, it's one of that one of those moments that makes you legendary, end quote. Now, probably a little hyperbole there, uh, you know, on the Cobb play. But the big man's voice was cracking again. And anyway, I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was a really interesting juxtaposition to Tomlinson getting emotional after this win and also, for a different reason, getting emotional after the Rodgers injury. Now, about Sunday's win, how the hell... Did they beat the Eagles without Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed? How did they do it with a practice squad corner, Craig James, in the starting lineup? How did they do it without Rodgers? How did they do it without their best offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker? Well, for the defensive stuff, credit Jeff Ulbrich and his staff. Uh, they did a fantastic job with juggling the lineup. You know, they didn't find out that Sauce Gardner wasn't going to play until Saturday morning. So kudos to them. I noticed a couple of things in this game with regard to X's and O's, and we're going to get deep into the weeds here a little bit. I hope you don't mind. But a couple of interesting things in this game. They played more split safety looks. 60% uh, of their snaps on passing downs were actually with split safeties. Now, that's usually the Jets are not a split safety team. They're usually a one-high team. But with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, they obviously wanted an extra man over the top to prevent those explosive plays, and that strategy made sense. And the Jets are a zone team, we know that, but they played a lot of zone in this game. They played a season-high 84% zone on passing downs. They didn't blitz a lot. Now that we know this, they're not a big blitzing team anyway, but they actually did it less than usual. They sent extra rushers on only eight snaps. Ulbrich played coverage and dropped seven, occasionally eight, by the way, and they still managed to pressure Hurt 40% of the time, and they confused him by dropping so many guys into coverage down after down. It was a really good strategy. 
um, really compensating for their deficiencies at cornerback. Now, according to Next Gen Stats, the Jets played a lot of cover six more than usual. Now, what is cover six? It is a blend of cover two and cover four. Cover two, you're usually playing deep halves. Cover four, you're playing quarters. Um, in cover six, you're playing three deep and four underneath. But with the three deep, it's a safety and a deep half, and then another safety and another corner playing quarters. So it kind of looks like cover three, which the Jets play a lot, but it's really not. Now, I don't know what the Jets call it. They may not call it cover six, but under the next-gen classification, it's going in the books as cover six. Whatever it worked was, it worked. They shut out the Eagles in the second half. Like I said, I think they confused Jalen Hurts at times. You saw the look on his face on the bench after the Tony Adams interception. He looked dazed on the bench. And this is one of the best players in the league, people. Uh, they held A.J. Brown to two catches for 42 yards in the second half after a huge first half with five catches for 89 yards. So credit the Jets for making some adjustments there. Now on the Tony Adams interception, quite possibly one of the biggest defensive plays they had in a long time. That was officially a cover three. Quincy Williams, the linebacker, had really good coverage on tight end Dallas Goddard. It was a third and nine. Hurts threw off his back foot, but to me, he kind of panicked. He forced that ball into Goddard. Adams read it beautifully. He steps in, picks it off, almost takes it to the house. Imagine if Zach Wilson made that throw. He'd be getting torched this week by media and fans. Uh, really, in that situation, Hurts... An overthrow is not the worst thing in the world. You throw an incomplete pass, you punt. The Jets have to go the length of the field in less than two minutes, and they hadn't scored a touchdown all day, so you have to figure the chances of them doing that are slim. So that was a really poor decision by Jalen Hurts and a really good play by Tony Adams in a well-designed scheme. Now, the funny thing about Tony Adams he wasn't even supposed to be a starter this year. Remember, it was supposed to be Chuck Clark. Remember Chuck Clark? Jets got him in a trade with the Ravens. They were going to pair him with Jordan Whitehead as their two safeties. They loved Clark in the offseason, his cerebral approach, his leadership. And then he blows out his knee at the end of OTA, so they turned to Tony Adams, an undrafted guy in 2022. Didn't play a whole lot of defensive snaps last year. And he actually played really well in the offseason, had a good camp. He's the reason last year that they cut Jason Pinnock, who's now doing a good job with the Giants. So Tony Adams, not supposed to be a starter, wins the starting job. It's the, it's the quintessential next man up philosophy. And really, that's been developing as a theme to this Jets season. Rodgers out, Wilson in. Gardner and Reed out, Hall and James in. Vera Tucker out. Mitchell in. Depth is vital in today's NFL. Depth and mental toughness, the Jets have, have both. They have both. On September 11th at about 8.30 p.m., all seemed to be lost as Aaron Rodgers was being taken off the field. It's not lost. All is not lost. The Jets are 3-3, three and three, and they still have a season. Hey! 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're reaching into the mailbag, and as promised, 11 questions for 11 kisses. A nod, of course, to Robert Sala's quote from last week, which did not come back to bite him. At Dan underscore Lorenz, I'm going to repeat my question from last week. Why did the Jets start slow? And Dan is referring specifically to the defense. He's right on. Nine touchdowns allowed in the first half, only one in the second half. They go from the bad news bears to the 85 bears, just like that. How does that happen? Well, Jeff Ulbrich has addressed this publicly. He says he has a tendency to get a little too cute in the first half with his game plans, might need to simplify, become a little bit more vanilla in the first half. I think teams always throw a wrinkle at the Jets when they come out, and the Jets are always back on their heels. On Sunday, Philadelphia, short passing game, getting the ball to the backs out of the backfield. Jets a little slow to adjust. Obviously, problems with A.J. Brown early on. All of a sudden, in the second half, they look like a different defense. And I think some of it has to do with their defensive line rotation. I think it wears down teams later in the game, which allows them to stay fresh, and you wear down the offensive line when you're running like nine guys at them in waves. So I think that's a factor as well, but you're absolutely right. They need to improve early in the game. At Rocket Jet 12, Rich, I haven't seen anything good from Michael Carter, the running back. Why is he the third down back? And he wonders why they take Brees Hall out on third down. Well, you know, Brees Hall cannot play every down. Can't be first, second, and third down running back. But you're right about Carter. You got to catch the ball. He's got two drops and only nine catches this year. That's not a good ratio. He's an okay blocker. Obviously not an overpowering blocker being that small. He's got to produce. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, he'll hang on for a few more games, I guess. But at some point, you want to have a more effective player in there. At Muir Taylor, do you think the Jets are going to be buyers at the deadline? Maybe even for Devontae Adams? I highly doubt that. The Raiders are 3-3. Three and three. I mean, they're feeling now in Las Vegas what you guys are feeling here in New York, and that's that the season has changed. You know, they got a little bit of a roll going, and the Raiders aren't going to trade away one of their better players. So I don't see Devontae Adams being moved. But I think the Jets do need to look at acquiring another option. They do not have a good option, a number two option at wide receiver. Uh, when when Garrett Wilson went out for a few plays on Sunday, this, the passing offense just stalled. And um, I think it's an issue. I think it's a poorly constructed receiving core, and they could use another option. I'm just not sure Joe Douglas is going to go out and do it. At Pat underscore O'Connor 0324, red zone efficiency. Of course, this question had to come up. Why does it seem like Zach Wilson is still on training wheels in the red zone? Well, this much we know. It hasn't been good. Uh, Jets have had only five touchdowns out of 17 red zone trips. That's a really poor percentage. This is supposed to be Nathaniel Hackett's uh, wheelhouse. He was the guru in Green Bay designing the red zone for Matt LaFleur. They called it the gold zone. 
I wouldn't say it's gold for the Jets. I'd say it's more like a tarnished metal at this point. Zach Wilson is a big part of it. He's only 24th in QBR in the red zone. He's completing only 48% of his passes. I don't think he sees the field very well in the red zone where everything moves a lot faster. I think he stares at his first read. On Sunday, he threw a couple of 50-50 balls up to Garrett Wilson. When on one play, he did have an open Tyler Conklin in the red zones the second week in a row. He's missed Conklin. I think this is part of the growing process with Zach Wilson. You know, you just have to be able to see things quicker down there and make quicker decisions. Just not happening right now. Next one from at Ava193-24354. Regarding Zach Wilson, what what can you attribute his change to uh, recent play the most? Was it Aaron Rodgers mentoring him or a specific coach? I think what Greg is referring to is specifically his accuracy, his completion percentage has improved the last three weeks. I think Todd Downing, their passing game coordinator, has done a really good job of just hammering home the importance of footwork. Footwork is everything in a West Coast offense. It's like what uh, Hackett said, that, you know, Steve Young and Joe Montana said, really, it's like a, choreo- a choreographed dance. That's what this offense is like. If you don't have good footwork, it doesn't work. And I think Wilson has done a really good job of cleaning it up. Last year, it was horrendous. He's showing much better fundamentals. And I saw, I think you also see him climbing in the pocket a lot better. Instead of trying to escape from the back or the side, he's moving up in the pocket when under pressure. That way, he's seeing the field and also gaining yards when he can, scrambling. At Matt Romano 19, we never saw Rodgers converse with Zach Wilson on the sideline during the game. Does that surprise you? Were they keeping Rodgers away from him because of the injury? Uh, frankly, I was surprised that Rodgers was on the sideline. Injured players typically are not allowed the sideline for safety reasons, but he was there wearing a headset. And I think he stayed off to the side, didn't want to get too directly involved in the mix. But according to Robert Sala, He was conversing with the coaches via the headset during the game, even uh, sharing some thoughts and suggestions regarding play calls. At Dr. Eric Klein, Rich, how do you see the quarterback depth chart playing out after the bye week? Is it more likely that Tim Boyle or Trevor Simeon will serve as the primary backup to Wilson? Well, right now, it's Boyle, and I see them going with Boyle as the number two going forward. Um, they just really feel like he's a lot more comfortable with the offense. Obviously, Simeon, Simeon, a late arrival. If something were to happen to Zach Wilson, I think you could see Simeon leapfrogging over Boyle simply because he has more starting experience. But I think they will continue to go into games with Boyle as the number two. Next one at Greg Romano. What are some potential targets the Jets will pursue at the trading deadline? Well, I think offensive line needs to be a big uh, target for them, especially with this Tipman injury. Joe Tipman, I believe, will be out um, for a period of time as the Jet hits a quadriceps injury, and it might be some sort of tear in there. So um, keep an eye on that. There are a lot of receivers who are going to be available at the uh, deadline. Cortland Sutton. Jerry Judy, of course, from Denver, where Nathaniel Hackett was. So there's scheme familiarity. Sutton, to me, is more attractive than Judy. He's a bigger target. 
Hunter Renfro with the Raiders, a guy who's really, I guess, in Josh McDaniel's doghouse. He's been passed over. He had a good year a couple of years ago. I could see him getting traded. Uh, maybe even Arizona might look to move on from Hollywood Brown. So I, I think the Jets, as I alluded to earlier, I think they need another option at receiver. Uh, they're going to try to give Xavier Gibson a bigger role going forward, probably a shrinking role for Randall Cobb. Hardman, we know he's probably not in any of the plans. I could see him getting traded. Let me put this thought out there. What about Corey Davis? Um, you know, when he left, it wasn't a retirement. It was just leaving the team. Uh, I would be curious to see if uh, Corey Davis might want to come back. I, I don't know that. I'm just throwing it out there. That would be an interesting guy to bring back. Obviously, he knows the offense. At Dante28, what on earth are they going to do at the O-line with Dwayne Brown coming back? Can they move a tackle to guard while Tipman is out? Well, right now they only have seven offensive linemen who are healthy, and the backups are Billy Turner and Carter Warren. They got Dennis Kelly on the practice squad. They just picked him up. He's got a lot of experience, mostly at tackle. I know a lot of people are asking about Lael Collins. Uh, He's only been a right tackle in his career. They need interior help. That is where they need help. Wes Schweitzer will start at right guard for Tipman, but they have no one depth-wise behind their three starters on the interior. So that's where Joe Douglas needs to do something here during the bye week is is get a get another guard in there because, you know, Dwayne Brown is coming back, but he's a tackle. You can't move him to guard. And Mekhi Becton's a tackle, and you can't move him to guard. So they need a guard. So that's Joe Douglas's homework assignment for the bye week. At MSG underscore 1007, do you believe they will extend Bryce Huff? And why haven't they done so already like they did with John Franklin Myers? You know, Bryce Huff continues week after week to perform in his role. He had a career-high nine quarterback pressures this week against Philadelphia. I talked to Bryce a couple of weeks ago. He said they had really had no talks going on with the Jets. I think he's a guy you want to extend. If he hits free agency, someone's going to give him a bag of money. He's going to get the bag, as they say, and the Jets should try to get something done here during the bye week. I think it would be, uh, you know, a good move for them. But, you know, everybody has a price, and you have to agree and find common ground before you can do anything. And our last question goes to at, uh, uh, what was the question? Okay, it's at Jersey Player. Uh, underscore at Jersey player. Rich, big fan of your podcast. Not sure if you've ever asked this before. Do you miss the days before social media when you didn't have to tweet out everything that happens during the game and you could just sit back and observe? Those were the good old days. Well, the good old days were long, long ago, and we have to change with the times. And I really don't mind tweeting during games. I, I like to do it. I I think it keeps the fans engaged. I know when I'm at home watching a football game, I like to follow on Twitter to see what my colleagues are tweeting. So I hope the people do the same when I'm tweeting. So I really don't mind that at all. I I don't love social media when it comes to breaking news because a lot of times you break news and two seconds later someone else has it confirmed and it takes away the joy of breaking stories like those good old days where when you had it in the newspaper – 
no one else could really respond to it and for another 24 hours in the next day's paper and you got to enjoy your victory for a little longer. There really aren't any victories anymore because it happens so quickly. I hope this all makes sense, but it's it's part of the business now. Tweeting social media, it's where it's happening. It's happening and it's happening quickly. And we're at the bye week now, so I'm going to take a couple of days off, I hope, unless the Jets make a trade which I would not rule out because I think uh, Joe Douglas is always looking to deal. He has not missed a trading deadline in his time as GM. Four years, he's made a trade at every trading deadline. I think the Jets would probably be more buyers than sellers at this point. But like I wrote in my notes on Sunday, I would not rule out Lawson or, or Hardman or even Dalvin Cook being moved if the price is right. So... That will be interesting over the next couple of weeks. The trading deadline is October 31st. I appreciate you stopping by, talking about the Jets' big win over Philadelphia. Enjoy your bye week, people. We will be back next week to talk about Jets and Giants in the Backyard Brawl. Thanking our producer, Jeff Scopin, and we will talk to you next time on Flight Deck. <laughs>